to Storytime Journeys. I'm your host, Jesse. This podcast will journey through space, time, and history to explore the weird, unexplained, unusual, but true stories that are so outrageous, you'll think it's fiction. Take my hand and brace yourself for today's Storytime Journey. Our story today takes us on a brief history of a Victorian-era practice of attempting to capture life after death. Photography and painted art have long captured human interest and imagination. In today's modern era, we take photos of just about everything. Our family, pets, nature, and memorable moments in our lives. We love to capture happiness, moments of excitement, and generally the living. But what about snapping a picture of a deceased loved one to keep as a memento? Sounds creepy, I agree. But post-mortem photography and painted portraits of the deceased was commonplace back in the 18th and 19th centuries. It was not seen as morbid or grotesque, but a way to capture loved ones for remembrance and to help ease the sharp pain of grief. Infectious diseases were the leading cause of death at this time. Smallpox, tuberculosis, and influenza were commonplace. Along with diseases, improper hygiene, the lack of understanding of medical treatment and the access to it, along with losing people in war, death was unfortunately a regular domestic reality for the life of Victorians. The average life expectancy at birth was low, and if a child survived birth, 25% of children would not make it past their fifth birthday. And for those who made it to adulthood, the average lifespan was in their mid-40s. Death seemed to be lurking around every corner and people had to find ways to cope with this harsh reality. But what started the tradition of capturing images of the dead? This practice started way before photography. Wealthy families commissioned artists to create mourning portraits. These were either paintings or sculptures to capture their deceased loved one's likeness. The daguerreotype was the first publicly announced and commercially viable photographic process. It was introduced to the world in 1839, a date generally accepted as the birth year of practical photography. Now people from lower economic backgrounds could afford to sit for a photo session in order to capture one last memory of their loved ones. In this way, this invention opened the availability to mourning because it allowed a larger populace to participate in the popular grieving customs. The average household during this time didn't have the luxury of affording family photos, so usually after-death sessions were the only time a family would get this service. As with any new practice or tradition, it evolved over time. During this era, most people passed away in their homes. Families would hire a photographer to take the images at their house. Not much care or staging was done with these early photos. Most were seemingly gruesome, depending on the manner of death, such as blood coming out of people's mouths or obvious signs of disease. But people wanted these photos as a cherished memento, so they started making an effort to presenting the dead. Makeup was applied to the face to cover imperfections or wounds, and color to the cheeks to help give the appearance of life. 
Nice clothes and scenery, such as flowers, were placed around the body. Some posed them during regular family activities, like a dinner or a party. For extra money, the photographer would even paint eyes on the top of people's lids to pretend they were alive. Nowadays, when we click the capture button on our cameras, the picture is taken within that second. But back in the 1800s, exposure time could take up to a whole minute before the picture was captured. This caused a lot of blurriness in early photos due to movement. This issue is what gave birth to the Victorian posing stand. This cast iron bar was used to help stabilize people's poses to prevent movement. They were also used as an aid to prop up the deceased into sitting positions to help them appear more lifelike. But in most Victorian era postmortem photos, it's very easy to spot the living versus the dead. Even with those posing stands, the living people would appear blurry and the dead person would be crystal clear. Photography wasn't the only way people expressed grief at this time. Mourning jewelry became very popular. These pieces symbolized the connection to death or religious faith. Some commonly used symbols were anchors, crosses, flowers, and pearls. Some even included pieces of the deceased person's hair. Widows would wear dark clothing, sometimes for years, to represent their constant state of grief. An unusual advancement in after-death photography started in the 1860s. This practice was rooted in the emergence of their religious practice of spiritualism. Spiritualists believe in the soul's survival after death, as well as the possibility of ongoing relationships and communication between the living and the dead. This death photography session would go something like this. Mourners would nervously take a seat. The person behind the camera would tell them to clear their mind, take a few deep breaths, and concentrate only on your past loved one. If you focused enough, they might appear in the photo with you. So you guessed it, photo sessions capturing ghosts. This medium was very controversial, but for those seeking connection, this was a highly sought out way to reunite with the dead. They were seen as another level for loved ones to help with their grief and viewed as concrete proof that the souls of the dead are still with us. That all sounds well and good, but photographers at this time saw a way to exploit people's sorrow to gain a profit. They claimed you couldn't see a spirit in person, but a camera could. The technique of the double exposure was discovered, and the industry of spirit photography took off. Double exposure photography is a technique that combines two images into one by layering two distinct exposures on a single image. A man named William Mulner, an American amateur photographer, is thought to be the first person to capture a spirit in a photograph in the early 1860s. His first spirit photograph, a self-portrait, when developed, revealed the spirit of his deceased relative, but this was captured by a mistake. But once he discovered this, he turned this accident into a full-time career and was able to fool many grieved families of the American Civil War. One of his most famous photos was of Mary Todd posing with the spirit of her deceased husband, Abraham Lincoln. William was tried in court for fraud. He was eventually acquitted, even though one of his photographs was proven 
that one of the spirits in the photograph was a living person at the time. He did lose his business and credibility. William was among several photographers to be caught faking this medium, but many people believe, and still believe to this day, that spirits can be captured on film. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, was one of those avid believers. He wrote a book in 1922 titled The Case for Spirit Photography, where he defends the medium as a real phenomena. He was a supporter of the spiritualist movement and even attended seances. Our modern culture now has adopted new ways of coping with grief and death. We hold viewings, funerals, and are present at the cemetery for burial. Some families choose to hold a celebration of life events to allow people to remember the happy times. I believe as humans, the acceptance and process is important for us to cope with the reality of loss, but post-mortem photos haven't left us entirely. Photos of past celebrities and well-known figures have been released to the public, such as Bruce Lee, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, and Hank Williams. In some ways, we are still drawn to viewing the absolution of death, maybe as a way to find acceptance with a sudden shock of loss or comfort in seeing death as a peaceful slumber. Side note to my family, as peaceful as I may seem, I'm not interested in a post-mortem family selfie, but if you try it, I promise you, I'll make sure my spirit makes an appearance. Until our next unusual journey, this is your host, Jesse, and this was episode two of Storytime Journeys. <laughs>